welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Sitting on the front row trying not to cry because I go, I got to preach here in a second, just a second. John chapter 9 this morning, John chapter 9. Man, we are, we, I am exhausted. Is anybody else in here tired? Got an extra hour of sleep last night. We are at the end of an eight-day journey through Ramsey Heights where we have just been busy for God. And it's not busy. It's it's busy for God. Last last Saturday, we had our outreach where we uh, are our, our flight the night where all of these people that are coming into our neighborhood to trick-or-treat, we have this opportunity to connect with them and invite them to church and tell them, hey, because God loves you, we love you as well. And we got to connect with hundreds of people through that opportunity, shared the gospel with no less than 50 kids four different times each and then of course last week we had celebration Sunday where we celebrated the fact that this building is paid off did I say paid off you guys will still be excited about that that's right and I promised you guys, I promised you guys we, we introduced three ministries last week and I said I want to hear your voice and you took a survey and we kind of decided we would decide what ministry from that survey to go off of. Do you guys, are you interested in which one we picked? I'll tell you next week, make sure you come back. No, I'm kidding. Ramsey Heights will be sending 3%, that's uh, 3% of our entire offering every single month will be going to Water for Christ. And if you weren't here last week, that ministry takes and it drills water wells in, um, in Africa and then it introduces people to the living water through that ministry. And then if as that wasn't enough, yesterday was Operation Christmas Child Packing Party where we did our part to get those boxes put together. I've got some pictures up here for you guys. 200 shoe boxes going out from Ramsey Heights here in just a couple weeks. And if you missed it, well, let me just say this. If you missed all of that and your idea of church was, hey, I'm going to show up between 11 and 12 o'clock every Sunday, you're doing church wrong. I got here this morning and I was praying. I always try to get my heart right before I get up here because I am unqualified to do this. And I try to get my heart right and I was just overwhelmed. It's like, God, everything that brings me joy, you have given me. And I just thanked him for that. I said, God, thank you for opportunities to come to this church and pack shoe boxes and to reach out to people and to be with you guys. And if, if you're not experiencing that, we want to invite you to dig in deeper here at Ramsey Heights because we've got a lot of stuff going on. And yesterday we got to pack those shoe boxes, had a lot of fellowship, had some pretty good food. We got some decent cooks. They need more practice, but we got some decent cooks around here. And those 200 shoe boxes, we will be dedicating two weeks from today. So two weeks from today will be Operation Christmas Child Dedication Sunday, where we're going to take some time at the end of service to pray over those boxes because they're out of our hands now. We've bought them, we've paid for them, we've packed them, and those shoe boxes are going to go to little girls like we just looked at who need to know about God's love. And we want to pray God's guidance in them that they get to the right kids, that those kids have open hearts and they're ready to experience God's love. And it's going to be so exciting. So be ready for that. After that, we're going to have a eat and meet. I don't know what can we call it. Eat and meet and still. We're going to have potluck, whatever. Afterwards, if you want to stay and celebrate with us through that. And then we're going to put up Christmas decorations and pray, play Christmas music and get all excited. And some of you don't care about anything, but I said Christmas music. You're like, yes, Christmas music. So I'm so glad you guys are here today. We are starting a new series. And as we get ready to start, I want to take a second just to get our hearts right and if you would if you'd bow your heads we're going to pray silently together and, and, and prepare ourselves for this message first uh, just thank God for something that he's done for you
Now, if you would, just ask God to open your heart to this message that it, it would touch you and you would hear what he would have you to have said. Pray for those around you that God would open their hearts. And lastly, if you would, please pray for me that God would steal my nerves and give me the ability to present his word. Father in heaven, God, you are the God of great joy. God, it is an honor and a privilege every time we come into this house to meet as a group of people who love and worship you. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for their hearts of service. I thank you for the work that you're doing here. God, I pray that you will use us not only in these services, but as we go out and as we try to serve you. Lord, this morning, you know, you know whose heart needs to hear this message. God, I pray, I pray for your peace and your hope to, to be with them. God, I pray that you will work here in a mighty way. God, give me the words that you would have me to say. God, be glorified in what we do. Lord, let it be your words and not mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So we are starting a new series today. It is called Shine in the Suffering. Now, I know what you're thinking. Like, shine in the suffering, that sounds like oxymoronic. That's, those are two words that don't go together. So we're going to play a game here. Let's just try to start this. We're going to play a game. I'm going to say a word, and I want you to think of a color that goes with that word. You guys got me? A color that goes with the word. You got me? You guys are like asleep out there. Okay, first one I'm going to say, Christmas. Shout it out. Red and green, red and green, very good. Ramsey Heights. Blue, yeah, blue. Some, now, some of you have been in here a long time and you're going orange because you got the old orange pews in your thing. We got blue in here. Okay, let's try one a little bit harder on the topic of what we're uh, talking about today. How about the word that deals with shine? White, bright white, yellow, orange, something like that. Okay, now, now what about suffering? gray, black. I heard some different ones. Real dark colors. As we look at this even emotionally without even really getting into these words, we know that these two words don't go together. Like white and black are the complete opposite of each other. So how are we going to start a series that is called Shine in the Suffering? We're going to try to work through what is our theology of suffering when we deal with hardships because I love you all and I know most of you here and I know that almost all of you have dealt with a hardship in the past year. Now, some of them are different than others, but we've all dealt with the fact that, that we've lost something that is precious to us. Some people in here are sitting here today and, and you're really struggling because you lost a loved one. And you just don't know how to go on day to day without that person that you, you're so close to you and so dear to you. Some of us have, have experienced, in fact, most of us have probably ex experienced some kind of financial suffering where, where the bills just don't work and we're having to pray, God, how are, how are we going to make it through this? In the past two years since COVID, mental health awareness has skyrocketed because so many people are struggling with their own thoughts and depression and anxiety because we have become so disconnected through COVID. We suffer with all of these things, and it's not something that we talk about a lot in church, but it's something that we all have to walk through, and some of us are walk, walking through that today. See, the question is not, will it happen? The question is, how are we going to handle it when it happens? How are we going to respond to the event? Not the event, but the trauma that comes from the event and the hurt that we carry after this time period. How do we respond to the darkness that comes with just day after day after day of just 
I don't know how to get through this. And some of this series will be encouraging because we are Christians. And for us, that means that everything has this ability to give us hope because we serve a God who does great things. And there's going to be a lot of hope and a lot of peace in this series. But some of this, some of this series is also going to be kind of hard. Because the truth is that just because God gives us joy and peace doesn't mean that we're always have an absence of suffering in our life. We're going to look at how we'd find comfort in suffering and develop this theology of suffering of how do we overcome it. And to start off with this series today, we're going to start in the book of John. If you've got your Bibles with you, John chapter 9. Uh, Jesus is walking around and it tells us the story of somebody that Jesus had an interaction with. So this is John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Keep your Bibles open. We're going to come to that. So this, this starts us off of the story of a man. And the Bible doesn't give his name. I think it's good enough to be, have your name recorded in the Bible without a name. But it doesn't tell us his name. But what it does tell us is that he was blind. Not only was he blind, he had been born blind. Now, take a second and let that become more than just a cartoon in your head. I want you to think, this is an actual person. And for all of his life, he did not have sight. For all of his life, he did not have the ability to take care of himself. This man, at this time, you had two options if you had some kind of a disability. Option number one is your family could take care of you, and that is only if your family had the means to take care of you. Option number two is you get a cup and you put yourself at the mercy of the crowds that walk past you on a street corner. And so this man would have been sitting here and he would have been yelling. He would have been saying a story. I was born blind. I can't see. I can't take care of myself. I need money for food. And that was his life. You guys have seen crowds of people. Can you imagine the humiliation, not only being, uh, d- being unable to see, but the humiliation of having to, to be rejected again and again as people said things about you, as people rejected you and refused to take care of you? See, this, this man was cursed with suffering in his life. And maybe that looks different than the things I've had to suffer through, and it looks different than the things that you've had to suffer through. Or maybe it, it looks exactly the same. I don't know. But, but for him, this was what he suffered with. But he was also blessed in the fact that he suffered at the time that Jesus walked this earth. We tend to overlook that. We're like, oh man, this guy's life was so horrible. He had this huge blessing. He happened to be on that street corner at a time when the Messiah, the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ comes walking by. Jesus has been in Jerusalem teaching. At this moment, he's probably actually fleeing. They've tried to kill him because they don't like what he's saying. And he walks by this man, and he's got like this entourage of disciples with him. And they're following along with him. And when you follow Jesus, and even today, when you follow Jesus, it's like a constant classroom. You're always learning. And so Jesus and his disciples are always having discussions, and they're asking him questions, and Jesus is teaching them things. And so this presents a question for the disciples. They look at Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, here's a man. Um, he was born blind. A man's probably standing on the street corner yelling that. I was born this way. I didn't do anything. And they said, so this presents a question. Who's that he became blind. Because at this time, Jewish theology said that if you had some kind of suffering in your life, you had done something to bring that upon yourself. You had done something that, that made that happen to you. And so this is an interesting case study for the disciples. This man was born with suffering. How could he have sinned before he was born? And so they're like, okay, so Jesus, how did this work? Is, is it that he sinned in the womb? He did something so bad that, that he's being punished for that now and he's suffering? Or is it that his parents sinned and therefore... Um, parents sin and therefore he is being punished for their sin whose sin is this now I want you to ask you the I want to ask you this question what are the disciples really asking 
Are they interested in knowing about his sin or the parent's sin? Now, what they're really asking is a question we all ask when we either see or experience suffering. That's the question like, why? Jesus, there has to be a reason for this. Why is he suffering? Why was he cursed with blindness? When kids get like three years old, what's their favorite question? Why? Right? They ask all the time. It's like, oh, why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? Why is it called Arkansas? Why is it cold? Why do deer have antlers? Why do turkeys have beards? Why are men mad? Why are you not listening to me all of a sudden? And they always ask that question at the exact wrong time, right? Like you're introducing them to their kindergarten teacher. It's like, sweetie, this is Mrs. Jones. Aren't you so glad to meet Mrs. Jones? And the kid looks at you and goes, Mama, why is Mrs. Jones' face so wrinkly? And they say it like at the wrong point. They're trying to make sense out of the world around them. They want to know why, what is the purpose. And as they get older, they ask why for another bunch of other reasons. Hey, go clean your room. Why? Hey, we're going to eat such and such a night. Why? Hey, go make your bed. Why? Go do your homework. Why? Right? They ask this all the time. And then, then they're like, I'm going to ground you if you ask me why again. Why? You know, it's, it's just horrible, these kids, the way that they do this. But, but we never really grow out of that. Because what kids or teenagers or whoever are doing is they're trying to make sense out of what's going on in the world. I want to understand the world around me. And especially when there's hardship. Like, I'm willing to walk through hardship, but I want to know why. Why do I have to learn math? I'm a history teacher, so I can pick on the math people. I'm never going to use this. How many of you teachers have heard that before? Never going to use this one day, right? Like, why do I have to do that? We ask why. And that's what the disciples are doing. They look at this and they look at this man's suffering and pain and they want a purpose behind it. And they don't care if it's that he's being punished or that he earned this. They look at Jesus and go, why is he suffering? And yet every time we've went through hardship in our life, what do we immediately do when we yell at God? God, why did you let this happen to me? We've never grown out of it. And as much as we love to judge the disciples, we're just like that. We want purpose and pain. And for these disciples, they looked at this man and they automatically assumed, automatically assumed he did something to earn this suffering in his life. He did something to hurt himself. Our first take-home truth is this, is seeking purpose and pain will lead to a misdiagnosis. See, the disciples had a misunderstanding of, of God's nature here. And it's one that I think is very clear of us. There seems to be this, this um, ideal among people that God has this nature like, if I'm good, God will bless me. And then if we think that that's true, then we kind of think the opposite. Well, if I'm bad, God will cause me to suffer. And that's not it at all. God does not bless us because we have earned his blessings. God blesses us because he is good and he loves us. You cannot earn his blessings at all. And if we truly know that and we believe it, why would we believe we can earn suffering? You can't make God happy enough with you to give you good things. You can't make God mad enough at you that he takes good things away. Now, you can earn punishment. That's a different message. But we're talking about suffering. So what's the answer to why? Why do we suffer? Because we all ask that. Two weeks ago, I drove to Atlanta and I attended a funeral of a, a man who was 35 years old. Left behind his wife at 32. She's a widow. And I'm sitting at this funeral and I hear story after story like, Gavin gave me $1,000 when I was having financial trouble. Gavin would call me in the middle of the night just to say that he loved me. Story after story, they looked at his wife and said, uh, looked, at, looked at his wife and said, look, I want you to know that the rest of us, we get around and joke about our wives, but, but your husband would always put a stop to it. He said, I love my wife. And I found myself asking, just like all of us was like, God, really? Him? 
That that's who that's who you're gonna take. Why? Most of you know if if you've been here very long, our former pastor's wife, uh, Miss Miss Burt, passed away this week. And, and I've struggled with that. I was very close with Miss Burton. I've been asking and working it through, even preparing this message, asking that question, like, why? Well, God, why? Is this, like, and I've started doing the same thing. Well, did, some, did she deserve this? Did something happen? Like, why, God, would you, would you do this? It is so natural for us to ask why. And the reason that we ask why is because we think somewhere in the back of our mind, if I know why this happened, I know how to avoid this kind of pain in the future. That's what we're really doing is we're trying to avoid it. But that is the wrong question. Why is the wrong question? Because by the time we ask why has this happened, it's too late to avoid it. <clears throat> the right question is how. Not how did this happen. See, when the disciples ask Jesus about this, Jesus is on a completely different wavelength. He doesn't sit down and sit down with them, well, this, this, guy's, um, this guy's mother you know, cheated on her father and his baby's not there, whatever. He didn't sit down and say all of these things. He said, no, you don't have an understanding of what's going on. And listen to how Jesus replied on a completely different wavelength. This is verses three through five. Jesus answered, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. It's like, Jesus, that's real helpful. Like, well, like why, why would you answer that? Jesus, why did this happen to this? And Jesus is like, it didn't happen for any reason. As long as I'm here, I'm supposed to be doing miracles. That's how Jesus answered them. But I love what Jesus' focus is on. Jesus' focus is not on how he got this way. Jesus' focus is, is, is on how... Excuse me. How is God going to be glorified in this? And then as soon as Jesus tells them that, he, he, he leans down and he spits on the ground. I told you this story a couple weeks ago. And he takes that mud and he rubs it on this guy's eyes and he, and he tells him with the most loving voice ever, he says, okay, go wash that off and you'll be able to see. Our next take home truth is a follower of Christ does not ask why it happened. We ask, how will God be glorified? That's the answer that Jesus gave them. Why has this man suffered? Why does he sit here and be ridiculed all the time? Why can't he see? Why is his life so horrible? And you know what Jesus said is, God has a plan to be glorified in this. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're, and you're going through pain and you're kind of looking at me like, Brian, that's what you got this morning? I'm dealing with all of this pain and you're coming at me with God will be glorified? Well... Yeah, that's, that's what I've got this morning. But that's, that's more powerful than you might think. Because what we chase when we ask the question why is, is we think if we understand a purpose that we will feel better, that it will end our suffering, and that's not true. If your car breaks down and you take it to a mechanic and, and they say, yeah, you're going to have to have a new motor. That's going to be $3,000 for us to put that in. Immediately you ask why. And when they say, well, all the oil drained out of it and the motor seized up and it's no good anymore, that doesn't make you feel better. You still have the suffering of the financial debt that you have to deal with. And it is the same thing for us when we ask why. When we ask why of God, we think it will make us feel better, but it simply will not. It will never make us feel better. See, the only thing, the only thing that makes suffering bearable and easy is when you are sold out for Christ. 
I know that's, that's not an easy thing to say, but when you are sold out for Christ and you have faith in him and you can look at this through tears and say, I know he is working and I trust him completely. See, the truth is, is only two things will ease your suffering. Only two things will make it easier when you're going through a hardship. And those two things are hope and peace. It doesn't change your suffering. It doesn't take it away, but it makes it bearable. And listen to me, the only place that you will find consistent hope and peace in this world is in Jesus Christ. It is the only place that you will find that. You will not find it in drugs. You will not find it in alcohol, in family, friends, football, money, church. If there was a multiple choice, where do you find hope and peace at? Answers A through Z is Jesus Christ. There's not even a second option. That is the only way that, that we find hope and peace and that hardship becomes bearable for us. I want to share with you a story of Nick, uh, Nick Vyusik. I can't say his name. Picture coming up here. I'm Nick Vyusik. And uh, no, that's not an optical illusion and that's not photoshopped. That's all of him. Nick, Nick was born with a, uh, a syndrome called Tetra Amelia. And what that means is that he was born just like the man in our story without arms and legs. He has a foot. You can see it there on his left side. He has a foot and, and two toes. And when he was born, you can imagine how crushed his parents were. His mom originally refused to hold him. They tried to hand her this baby, and she said, no, you have to imagine how crushed she must have been. Dad went outside and vomited at the sight of his own child. They would never get to count their child's toes. They would never get to see him take his first steps. They'd never get to see him hold the hand of a woman as, he walked down the, or as she walked down the aisle as they got married. All the things that they expected of their child, he would never be, their own child would never be able to hug them. Just kind of fell on them. But they trusted God. They said, God must have a plan. And, and Nick grew up, obviously, with, with his disabilities being kind of picked on and bullied and knowing he was different. And he asked a question all the time. You guys know it as well as I do. What did he ask? Why? And he was so consumed with that question of why did this happen to me? At 10 years old, he attempted to take his own life. We're very blessed, and he's very blessed, that he failed at that. And it wasn't very long after that that he was reading in a Bible. His parents were full of faith, and they tried to pour in him. Nick, God has a plan. Nick, God has a plan. But when you're sitting here with no arms and no legs, you're like, I don't know about God's plan. But he read a story in a Bible about a man who sat on a street corner who had been born blind and begged for all of his life. And when people ask, why did this happen to him? Jesus Christ, the Messiah of the world, said God has a plan to be glorified in this. And Nick took this story that we're studying today, and he became a Christian because he believed if God had a plan for this man who was born blind, he has a plan for me who was born without arms and legs. Nick started a ministry as he became an adult called Life Without Limbs. And guess what he does? He travels the world spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ, sharing his story and how he changed his life with people who are broken and hurting all over the world. I know what you're thinking. It's like, oh, that's nice. He travels the world. In 2014, he met with seven presidents of seven different countries. And his meetings with these presidents where he shared the gospel and he told his story and he talked about Jesus Christ was televised to over 400 million people. That's not even counting the hundreds of thousands of people that he preached to directly. 
At the end of this, the president of Ecuador, Ecuador actually overturned an abortion uh, or a law that would allow abortion to happen if the child was deformed. And you know what he said? The president of Ecuador said this. It says, the world could use a few more people like Nick. Listen, that's an ability for people to be reached for Christ that was born and bought by Nick's suffering. See, God has this amazing ability to take something bad and turn it into something good. You know what Nick would tell you when people ask him, well, what about your arms and legs? This is him, direct quote, sometimes God has a better plan. And he would tell you today that he is thankful for what happened to him. Now, does he still pray for arms and legs? Yeah. But he walks in in this miracle of being able to do God's ministry happily and thanking God for that. Thank God. Thank God for his suffering. And I don't mean that bad. But there are people that are going to be in heaven because Nick spent one very short lifetime without arms and legs. There are people that are going to meet Jesus and spend eternity healed spiritually because Nick could not be healed physically. And so what does this mean for us? And I just want you to know this. In your pain and in your suffering, there is a purpose. But the purpose is something bigger than you. It's not that, that maybe it means everything's going to work out for you. There's something bigger than you that's working. And so I ask you, are you sold out for God? Will you let him use your hardship to reach others? Can you be committed to that? Nick could have had arms and legs. And he would have been a regular person. How many broken people have come to God because Nick looks at his life and says, sometimes God has a bigger plan. And I'll be honest with you, that hurts me. Because when you and I look in the mirror, we want to think we're the biggest thing in the world. You've heard the old saying, they think the world revolves around them. I won't say it about you guys because we all think that the world revolves around me and what I want. But God has a bigger plan. In 2007, I'm going to nerd out for a second on you guys. In 2007, Marvel came up with this idea that they were going to start putting together all of these movies. And over a 15-year period, they're going to make 20 movies that they're all going to kind of twist and come together. And they're going to kind of culminate in this last epic battle, this movie. And I was sitting around when that last movie was called Infinity War was coming out. And I was talking with my brothers and we were all like, you know, being Marvel nerds. Like, this is going to be cool and this and that superhero. It's all sci-fi superhero stuff. And we're kind of talking about all the intricacies of, well, yeah, but if you remember in Iron Man 2 that that kind of connects with what happened in Thor 3 and you know we're going through all of us and my dad was sitting there and he's kind of listening to us and now he's interested and he's kind of starting to act like he wants to go see the movie and I was all of a sudden I was like wait stop dad you cannot see the movie he's like why not it's like you're not going to understand the purpose of it unless you watch the other 19 movies first he didn't see the movie with us anyway the point is is life is like that sometimes God will take something over here that seems so disconnected and he'll work some little detail out that one day will connect to a detail over here and connect to a detail over here and you may never see the giant plan until after it has all come together. And it's hard for us to admit that that's it, but life is like that. You may be on step three of a 20-step process and you can't see it. And I know what you're asking. You're sitting here and you've got something on your mind and your heart. It's like, how can God make this good? Listen, he is. That's, I'm sorry, he will. It's who he is. I want you to think of a mother, Mary, and she kneeled at the foot of a cross and she watched her son, if you have children, you know how that hurts, die in agony. You think Mary didn't ask, how is God going to make this good? This isn't what I signed up for. You're sitting here thinking, well, when will I get to see this get better? I don't know. Do you think, do you think that Paul... 
was able to, to sit through, through his entire life and go through all the suffering that he knew and know, hey, you know what's going to happen is I'm going to suffer all this, but I will become the most studied author in world history. Paul didn't know that. Some of us are asking, like, why? why would God choose to be glorified and to work in my pain? Listen carefully. Our God loves you very, very deeply. But it's not about you. Your pain is temporary. It may not feel like it now, but it is temporary. And some of you are sitting here saying, I don't believe in a God like that. I don't believe in a God that would let me suffer so other good things could happen. Well, you're right. He's not letting you suffer because other good things can happen. Suffering is part of life. You're saying, I believe in a God that blesses me and he only does good things for me and he gets me into heaven. Well, those are all right. But even the point of all of that is for him to be glorified. And when we become Christians, when we become followers of Christ, what we accept is that it's not about me. I give my life to Christ, which means I give it to something bigger than me and I accept everything that comes with it. And I can prove it with the Bible story. You may be familiar with this. There's a man in the Bible, and um, the Bible talks about how much he loved God with all of his heart. It's the closest thing to perfection that is possible. And God loved him. As a matter of fact, the Bible calls them inseparable. And anytime this man asked for anything, God would give it to him just like that. It didn't matter what it was. It's almost like miracles. Just ask for it and get it. He had everything you could, get, uh, you could possibly want. He had the three F's. He had friends, family, and he was famous. All things that God gave to him. But even he, even he went through a period of suffering. He was nearly stoned two times by people that loved him before that and they attacked him. He, he was dragged into a court where they made up all kinds of lies about him. He was tied to a stake and beat so savagely that his skin hung off of his body. They took a crown of thorns and they pressed it down upon his head. And then they put him on a cross where he slowly suffocated to death, suffering while people cheered. Why did God let that happen to Jesus? Why did Jesus choose to go through that? Because there was a bigger plan. And one that you and I are thankful for. We call that bigger plan now, we call that salvation. Did you know that salvation is not about you? It's not about you getting into heaven and having everything you want. It is about God being glorified and his love being personified and giving that to you. It's about him showing off how much he loves people. Oh, by the way, do you know what we call that day that Jesus went through a lot of suffering on that cross? We call it Good Friday. See, God has this ability to take bad things and turn them to good. Our next take-home truth is God will eventually take temporary bad and turn it into eternal good. See, there's this theology of suffering we have is if I'm a Christian, I should never suffer. I should never go through hardship. I should never have to deal with hurt in the way that I am. But when we're saying that, what we're actually saying is God let Jesus suffer, but he shouldn't let me. What we're saying is I deserve to suffer less than Jesus Christ did. And listen to what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. It says that he was an unblemished lamb. He was perfect, holy. He was God himself. He was full of love and grace. You know what the Bible says about you? It says that you're dirty. It says that you're broken. You know what the nicest thing the Bible has to say about you as a person is? It says whatever righteousness you have is like dirty rags. It's not, it's not even that it identifies that there is anything good about you. It just says, yeah, that's, that's as clean as you can get. And so we sit here, and I want to ask you a question. Do you think God would choose to let Jesus Christ suffer, but you shouldn't have to? 
I'd like to take this moment to welcome you all to Ramsey Heights. I hope you're enjoying the message and that you're excited to come back next week. It's heavy, guys. It's deep. It hurts. And I understand that. But God works a bigger plan. See, Jesus, Jesus promised in this world. He promised it. It's in the Bible and it's written to me and you. He promised you will have suffering. You will have hardship in this world. It is going to be a part of your life. You're going to hurt and you're not going to understand why. But you know what he said? He said, but you can take heart. That means be encouraged. He said, I have overcome this world. If you keep reading through that Bible story, the man goes and does what Jesus told him to. He washes his face off. He washes his eyes and he can see. And he's walking around and people are like, hey, aren't you that blind guy? It's like, no, I was that blind guy. I'm not that blind guy anymore. And of course, this creates a story because people are like, what happened? Well, this guy named Jesus came by and he was something special apparently and he did this to me. And the Pharisees who hated Jesus, they grab the man and his family and they drag him into court and it's like, tell us what happened. When I was sitting there, I was begging. This guy came up to me, put mud on my eyes. It spit. It was kind of weird. But anyway, he did it, told me to wash, and now I can see. The man's name was Jesus. Are you sure about that? Yes, I'm sure. And then they turned to the man's parents like, tell us, that's not really your son. You had a son who was born blind. This is some actor, right? They're like, no, that's our son. Well, how did he get his side back? You're going to have to ask him. And they ask him again. And he's like, oh, well, there was this guy called Jesus. He walked by. He put spit and mud on my eyes and told me to wash it off. And now I can see. And they got so mad at him, they threw him out. Then they drug him back in there again and said, tell us the truth, what really happened. He's like, I told you the truth. It was this guy named Jesus. Maybe you guys just don't want to hear it. And you know what they did? They got so mad at him. They threw him out and they said, hey, you were born blind. And they went back to that, that Jewish theology. You were born blind. You had some sin in your life. You're dirty. Get out of here. Oh, man, this guy just can't, he can't catch a break. He's been blind and now he can see. And now he's being dragged over the coals by the Jewish FBI. I mean, it's not fun. He's being rejected. He's been thrown out of the temple, which is basically being told you've been rejected by God. But Jesus comes back and he finds him again. And he asks him a question. If you've still got your Bibles with you, and if you don't, that's fine. But this is verses 35 through 38. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him and it was he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world, for they which might not see, that they, would, that they which see might be blind. Listen to what happened when Jesus came. This man suffered lots of things. But he came to know Jesus through an interaction where Jesus healed him physically. Oh, but that's not the story. That's the part we talk about. Jesus healed a blind man. No, when Jesus healed him spiritually is the point of the story. It's not about the time that Jesus healed somebody's physical suffering. The point of the story is when Jesus used somebody's physical suffering to heal them spiritually. And so when we look at our story and we look at our own personal stories, we know that God is working something good. This man was not blind because of sin, but he was still a sinner just like you and me. He had this, this wall between him and God, and yet Jesus Christ came to him. And I want you to think about this. This man sits in heaven today, and he sees things you and I can't imagine. All those streets of gold and mansions that we sing about and those pearly gates you heard about. He sees all of those things and many more. But most importantly, you know what he sees? He sees the glory and the grace and the love of God on a daily basis. I've never talked to this man. I hope I will. I hope heaven works that way. I hope I get to go find all these people and be like, tell me about it. I just got to read about it. Tell me the real story like you were there. I guarantee you what he would say is he would say, 
thank God for my suffering. Thank God I was born blind. Because if I hadn't been born blind, I wouldn't have been on that street corner when Jesus walked by. Live if you want to come up here. I wouldn't have been able to meet him. If not for my blindness and not for my suffering, I would have never known Jesus. And in the light of the 70 or 80 years that we're here, the eternity that you get to spend with Christ is so much better. This is our response time. And I know this is a heavy message. And I know that some of us are dealing with things that I can't even imagine. But I want to encourage you to just pour that out to God. He wants to hear you cry. He wants to hear what you have to say to him. And he wants to comfort you. And I would encourage you to be determined to trust him enough to say, I've got hope and peace that God is doing something in my suffering. And maybe you're here and you've seen enough suffering and, and you're tired of it. And you're, you're like that blind man. My physical suffering is bad enough, but you know that you have a physical suffering as well. That you are a sinner and that you need Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, the best thing you will ever do is have a friend that walks with you through everything. That's a gift that you get through Jesus Christ if you only accept what he offers you. Today's the day. Don't, don't leave here the same as you walked in. Or dismissed.